0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I like to share things like this, this every once in a while, just to give you a glimpse behind the scenes. But just this Sunday uh, with this team, you know, they arrive early to rehearse and they come prepared. One of our values organizationally as a team is to pursue excellence in our craft. And we're blessed with a team that not only does that, but also does it last minute. Because this week, Rochelle sliced her hand really, her thumb really bad, so she couldn't play piano. So Daniel Standish stepped in. How beautiful was his piano playing today? Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Rochelle and Michelle, which were the two women singing up here, blend beautifully and serve with excellence. And then Samuel Barajas, who's Oscar's little brother and part of our Grace in Espanol team. Uh, He stepped in last minute to switch from guitar to bass, which isn't just like a magic trick. He had to rehearse a bunch last night, figured out, played with excellence. Eric Berenger, always a rock on the drums. And Stephen Houlet had to step in last minute for a sound person whose kids got sick. So hand to our team who are just willing to serve, (laughs) sacrifice their time. It is no magic trick to pull off beautiful gatherings with the church family. Do you guys realize that? It's a lot of hard work behind the scenes. And we need deeper and deeper benches benches in all those areas. So we want you guys to be a part. These positions are not filled, we need you. We need to keep building and growing uh, and serving. And I I wanted to mention this earlier, but I'm gonna mention it now. One of the things I love about having a truly multi-generational church is we get to celebrate things like this, which we don't normally acknowledge, anniversaries or anything like that, but you'll see why I'm mentioning this. See if I get the names right. Margie, am I saying it right? And Jim, who by the way, Margie just had a wonderful touch of God in her body, correct? Remembering that we're thanking God for that. She's sitting right here with her husband Jim. Tomorrow, celebrate if their marriage, sixty-eight years married. <laughs> sixty-eight years married. <laughs> I mean, that makes me feel like I'm four. Anybody else? Like, I've barely even had a breath in life. She was telling me right before the service with tears in her eyes, just giving thanks to God for touching her body, for being in their marriage. So we, we celebrate with you guys, and we're so glad you're here uh, worshiping with us. What a gift to be worshiping in a space with people that have been married 68 years, and then right next to them, a bunch of little babies making lots of noise and just worshiping, and it's, just, it's a beautiful thing, and it's the church of Jesus. It's really a joy for me Uh, to get to be a part of so many benchmarks in people's lives as a pastor. It's one of the things I love. Of course, when people get saved and born of the Spirit, I love walking with them and and, and serving them. I love being a part of getting to baptize people, which we're gonna be doing baptisms again soon. This is our baptismal here. If you've not been baptized, let me know, and we'd love to uh, baptize you. I love being a part of when families have new babies, and we do things like baby dedications. We do meal trains for those families. It's a beautiful thing to get to be a part of. I'm also with families during the challenging seasons of life, Uh, the loss of loved ones, which we've had a lot of over this last two years, funerals, memorials, or for some when life really seems like it's crumbling, falling apart at the seams, I tend to get to be a part of what's going on with them in those seasons of suffering. And I get to hear the things people are burdened with on a regular basis. And, And here's just a few examples. Um, and I, it's, don't, don't worry, it's not gonna be a downer like this, the whole message, but just setting the stage for the reality of life. We have a lot of people very concerned about our culture, understandably. We call evil good and good evil. We seem to celebrate selfishness and we seem to punish godliness in our culture. Um, we have all this suffering in the world and that weighs heavy on a lot of people in our church family. A lot of the young people it weighs heavy on. How in the world could a good and powerful God Exist in the midst of all this. We're almost two years now into COVID, and we have lots of people having anxiety over will that ever end? Because some of our people, that has totally changed their careers. It's totally changed their trajectory of their life. It's totally changed the makeup of their life as they've lost loved ones. Uh, across the board, we have less, tr- less trust for leadership than ever before. People in their economics are noticing prices going up in the world. My, my family and I are trying to buy a house right now, and if, you have, if you've looked around recently, it's cray-cray out there to speak the language of my daughters, and <laughs> prices going up, income going down in some cases, worry about the middle class disappearing. A lot of people worried about the climate, and it's in crisis, mental health in decline, suicide and depression rates up, relationships that are broken. Our youth and our young people, I don't know if you've noticed this, but are, are desperate for answers. And authenticity from grownups, you know what I mean? What do they do with all these problems they're facing? Sin is left unchecked. Justice left undone. Racism rampant. Spiritual, political, and economic leaders corrupt people, divided. And that's, those kinds of things are weighing on the hearts and minds of many of us. And we come to church and we worship and we smile as we should and we lay our burdens down. But a lot of times we pick them right back up. Uh, when we get home or right when we get back in the car or right when we get back to work on Monday, and we wonder things like this. Is God really still with us? Was he ever with us? If he is with us, what in the world is he doing? And the title of the sermon today is, Is God Still Working? We're in this series through the Gospel of John. We're just going verse by verse, so this happens to be the text that we hit. And as I studied and prayed, Uh, This week, this is what came out. It's John 5. You can open there in your Bibles or on your phones. It'll also be on screen, verses 16 to 30. We're going to start by just reading the entire text, beginning in verse 16. So because Jesus Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he had just healed somebody, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Let's all just exhale together. That's a chunky piece of scripture. That's one of those texts that when I'm really just seeking God honestly raises more questions than anything else. Anybody with me? It's challenging stuff in there. What in the world does some of that mean? And I just encourage you to be an honest seeker of God. One of the principles of studying scripture that I wanna keep bringing to us is that scripture interprets scripture. What that means is when you find things in texts like this and some of them are like, what in the world, how could that be in here, what does that mean? And it doesn't ring true with with what you know to be the spirit of the whole word, you need to interpret it within the context of all of scripture. You also need to interpret it within the context of the cultural realities of the day. So we're gonna do a bit of that today. And it's really important to notice right from the beginning that in this day and time, the tensions were high. It was not a time unlike our own. There was spiritual, there was politic, there was economic, and there was moral crisis on every front. People were oppressed and suffering. All of scripture is written from the perspective of the oppressed, not the perspective of those in power. Nation raged against nation and people against people. People questioned what was true and had everything challenged. Sounds similar? We can relate to this, and in this kind of time, Jesus broke into human history. And in verse 16, we saw it referenced Jesus doing these things on the Sabbath. We talked about last week, or the week before, about how Jesus healed someone that was disabled. They couldn't walk for 18 years. And Jesus healed the person, said, get up, take your mat, and walk. And so the person did it, and the Jewish leaders of the day the religious leaders saw that person walking with their mat, knew it was the disabled person, knew it was a miracle, and their first response was, hey, you're breaking the law of the Sabbath. You're not allowed to carry a mat. They totally missed the miracle and celebrating with compassion. That's the context that we start reading in here. We defined last week legalism as being obsessed with irrelevant details. And the Jewish leaders in their human nature were not very different, by the way, had built all kinds of new laws according to their interpretation of God's law. And one of those was you can't carry any burden on the Sabbath, which included a mat. So Jesus threatened them. He threatened their man-made interpretation of the law. And before you like, take yourself off the hook, when we really seek God honestly, Jesus threatens us too. Have you ever felt that? what we believe about him, what we believe to be true about us, how we make our decisions, what the authority infrastructure is of our own life. Yes, he brings good news, but then he also threatens it because he won't do everything according to the way we want it. Have you ever noticed that? It's like the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, Aslan is a type of Jesus in those stories that C.S. Lewis wrote, phenomenal stories. And I'm gonna mess up the exact quote, but, but Jesus is represented as a lion. And so it was said of him, the lion is not safe, but he is good. And it's like that with Jesus, like very good. We can trust him, but he's not safe. He's going to change things in our life. He's going to mess with your world. So it's good to notice that because if we, if we fight that work of Jesus, we start to, to lean towards being a little bit more like those particular Jewish leaders of the day, being pharisaical, being obsessed with, with details that are irrelevant. So I want to encourage you today to start off with just the truth that God is going to mess with your world and you should say yes to it. So that we don't fight ourselves fighting what god is doing that's what's happening here and i want to clarify what the sabbath even is jesus said the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath and all these extra rules were not the intent of god when he commanded us to rest and even when we see god modeling rest on the seventh day in the creation narrative if you haven't read it in a while you know he created all these things on these days and then he rested on the seventh day but all throughout the rest of scripture you never see any picture of God like taking a breather or kind of taking time off. In fact, you see the exact, exact opposite of God. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always available to you. And I know a lot of people that sometimes won't even pray because they feel bad because they think he has worse stuff to deal with and he's a busy God. True. But he also cares about the details of your life because he's the God that doesn't sleep or slumber. So Sabbath is for us, and Sabbath is for us to rest, not even just from the one physical day, but to have a posture of rest in our lives. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't take more burden on. You take the burden off, and he carries it, and you take on the light burden that Jesus offers you. That, we we get this so wrong. Because our culture is so driven, the American culture that we've been discipled by is so driven, we're so anxious to like, achieve, we're so in- anxious to accomplish. None of that is all wrong, but we put the weight of the world on our own shoulders. God doesn't put it there. We gotta be honest about that. I can't tell you how many times I get home after a long day of work and I have to remind myself before I go in and all my kids descend on me and, and I go into whatever the reality of the home is, which Jessica, Jessica wouldn't mind me saying this, it could be the kind of day where like everything is totally in order and she's just so delighted and happy to be a mom, or it could be a day where it's like World War III, you know what I mean? You're not sure what you're walking into. Reality, anybody with me? That's not a knock, it's just reality. And so I always wanna be ready Whatever I'm going into, usually I feel like I'm walking in carrying the weight of the world, because whatever my day was, and I have to remind myself, oh my goodness, I put that weight on my shoulders. Let me take that off and go in and be present with the people that God has called me to love. Right? So we just have to get this straight. God calls us to a Sabbath life. A Sabbath life. So yes, there's work to do. Yes, we work hard. I'm not knocking any of that. Have vision, have passion. But let's be honest about the burdens and the anxiety we carry. So knowing that, Jesus is bringing correction to these Jewish leaders who are saying, you can't even pick up a mat on the Sabbath and are using it to condemn someone who's just had a miracle in their life. And the first principle here is this, and Jesus said it directly. When we are resting on the Sabbath, God is still working, always. When we feel hopeless, God is still working. When we feel like we're carrying the weight of the world, God is still working and we're not helping. <laughs> when we think we're really helping, God is still working and we're probably not helping that much. My dad used to always tell me growing up, Nathan, someday you're going to die. And when you do, just give it a few years, everyone will forget your name and the, and the world will go on. I'm Like, that's true. Wow. Thanks, dad. He would also tell me. Any newspaper clippings that have anything that you did in them, like any things that are worth highlight reels, Nathan, that's great, and I'll celebrate with you, but it's gonna, it's gonna end up on the bottom of a birdcage collecting poop someday, and people are just gonna ball it up and throw it away. And it's true, his point was that he was trying to ingrain in me, you know, he loves me, obviously he wasn't like abusing, abusing me with these statements. <laughs> I have to be careful, he wasn't abusing me, this is in the context of wonderful love and care and all that stuff, identity, purpose, all that but he just was speaking the truth to me about how the world goes on. Most of us don't know the names of our great-grandparents and they're our family, right? No one's gonna care. That's good news. Everything goes on without us. That's part of the beauty of the Sabbath. We can rest. I love how Rich Velotis says this. I'm not sure how he pronounces his name. He's actually a pastor friend in New York. He says, we keep Sabbath not because it makes us more productive at work. We keep it to resist the idol of productivity We are more than what we produce. So when we rest, we understand he continues to work. And then it further reminds our heart that we are trusting the only one who does good work, God. Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So we see this principle. God is always working. And that might be all you need to hear today. Whatever your circumstance or situation is, whatever your doubt is, whatever your question about what's happening in the world is, I believe, and I think you can take it to the bank, God is always working. The question is, will you come into partnership with that work? Will you receive that work? That's the question. And the rest of the text just goes on to explain it. We're going to move through it pretty quick. It's some, it's some kind of chunky theology, but it's worth getting through, and it's going to, I believe, help us. In verse 18... For this reason, they, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees tried all the more to kill him. Again, if you're threatened by Jesus, if you don't deal with it, you start trying to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. If you've ever wondered if Jesus ever actually claimed to be God, this text will answer it for you. And I'm just gonna preach to you today what I believe to be true. Number two, Jesus is God. If that messes with your head a little bit because you're not used to it, if you're more comfortable just thinking of Jesus as a prophet or a really good man that followed God, lots of world, lots of world religions still call Jesus a prophet, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you're to the spirit and, and take scripture as your guide, you must deal with the truth that Jesus is God. He was sent by God the Father who is also God. And he was led by the Holy Spirit who is also God. And this is what we refer to to try to make sense of divine mysteries as the Trinity. One God in three persons. One of the things God's been dealing with me on that's been so encouraging is just reminding me, basically saying to me, Nathan, just remember, you're not, you're not building a church for me. You're not trying to have great vision for me. You're not raising a family for me. What I'm asking you to do is participate with the ministry of Jesus. And what I'm asking you to do is participate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Participate with the ministry of God the Father. The only question about me is will I come into participation with what he is doing? That's it, period, and that's the question for you as well. Again, the burden is off, right? He carries it for us, we can come into participation with the ministry of the Holy Trinity of God. And then in verse 18, I wanna reiterate, for this reason he's claiming to be God, they tried all the more, to kill him, and then in verse 19, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. A, in your notes, Jesus only does what he sees the father doing. He can do nothing contrary to the father. My son is like this in my life right now. I have a three-year-old little boy named Clay. And one of the things he's obsessed with right now is he only wants to wear pants or shorts that have pockets because almost all mine have pockets. And he walks up to me, he's like, Dad, you got pockets? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, me too. And we just stand like this next to each other in the house. Like, What's up, dude? (laughs) Last night, I had just him. Uh, The girls were, some of them were with Jess, the others were upstairs. So he's still at the age where you can watch movies that aren't appropriate for little kids yet, but he's young enough that he can kind of deal with it. So we were watching Avengers. I was watching Avengers with my three-year-old. It's not terrible, but it is killing. Probably when he's five or six, I'll stop watching that with him and then he has to wait till he's however old. But am I, I'm, you're all angry at me now, I don't know. But we were watching Avengers. It wasn't the newer Avengers that get more intense. It was the older Avengers when they were still a little bit more like popcorn friendly and all that kind of stuff, so yeah. Hulk is in the Avengers. Um, and every time Clay would see Hulk, he would say, oh, dad, Hulk, strong, just like you, just like me. He saw a video of me preaching this past week, and he said, Dad, I'm gonna do that just like you. I'm gonna preach like you. I got home the other day, and he said, Dad, I'm gonna be big just like you. Do you see I'm getting bigger? You're gonna get smaller, and I'm gonna be bigger than you. That's what he told me. It's so fun. He's just at this wonderful stage where I'm the greatest thing in the world. It obviously won't last forever, but right now, I mean, I am the greatest to my son, Clay. I I I want to bottle all this up. He does whatever he sees me doing. He does all of it, and then look at verse 20, and this demonstrates this relationship with God the Father, God the Son. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And I love my Son, and I wanna show him all that I do. And I wanna welcome him into that, and that's a picture, those beautiful moments I have with my Son are a picture of God the Father and God the Son. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. B, Jesus gives life. This is such good news. In a world filled with death, in a world filled with despair and bad news, let's hang out with the one who gives life. Let's be filled with the words from the one who gives life. One of our values is formation. The reason that's one of our values is because we need to deal with the truth that no matter what, you are being formed by something in your life. People don't realize that. Another word for it is discipled. You are being discipled. It is up to you what you allow to form you. If you're allowing social media to form you, I'm going to pray for the miraculous peace of God in your life because it'll destroy you. If you're allowing just entertainment or, or Hollywood to form you, I'm terrible choice. If you're allowing maybe the voice of an abuser to form you, terrible choice. You must come into intentional partnership with the words of God, with Jesus, the one who gives life, if you want to walk with life. That's why it has to be daily. Formation comes through repetition. Jesus is the one who gives life, and it again sets him up equal with the Father, not less than Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him." And then reading head to verse 30, "'By myself I can do nothing,' Jesus said. "'I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just.'" This one is especially good news right now. See, Jesus makes just judgments. We are in an age, as you know, of mass confusion, Hysteria, misinformation, commercialized misinformation, commercialized manipulation, cancel culture, lack of all trust. In the midst of it, Jesus still makes just judgments. I would submit biblically he's the only one that makes just judgments. Who else is thankful for that? That was a very weak. Yeah. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. D, Jesus offers the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gospel, and it's offered to you today through Jesus. And this is further answering the question, God is still working. Jesus gives life, Jesus offers the gift of eternal life. Jesus makes just judgments. God is still working. You tracking with me? This is what this is all pointing back to. Verse 25, very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So this is where people, like honest thinkers about scripture start getting confused and be like, what's that talking about? What is that really referring to? In general, most scholars believe that because it has that phrase, has now come, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of God and be raised. It believe, most believe that this verse 25 is talking about spiritual death and not physical. So people have already been raised to life through the message of God. And then bringing further clarification to that, in verse 28, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming. This time it does not say and has already come. So speaking of something that has not yet happened, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil, evil will rise to be condemned. Let me pause there. Because when I read that, questions come up. I'm like, well, wait a second. Where do people go when they die? I don't believe they're in their grave. I thought their spirit is with you. You know these questions, like, are we, this is where you get images of, like, people literally coming out of their graves at the return of the Lord. Let me just confess, honestly, I don't believe we have an exactly clear picture of any of that in scripture. I think we have glimpses into elements that we can totally bank on, but we really just don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We don't know exactly what the timing is. But what we can bank on is that what we read right there, those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. What we know because scripture interprets scripture is that the only way to get from those who have done what is evil, because all of us are actually here. This is what scripture teaches us. Again, scripture interprets scripture. We are all in the camp. Those of us that have done evil for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God interprets that for us. The only way to get over that and cross over, which you talked about earlier in this passage, to life, is to do what the passage already said. Believe in him who sent Jesus, and in the words he speaks, and you will receive eternal life. That's how you get there. So we might not know exactly what it's gonna look like, but we can rest trusting God that we will be on the right side because we put our faith in Jesus and we know him. That's the way we look at scripture in hard passages. We see also there in verse 30 at the very end, by myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. It was referenced twice, just in this text. Jesus was sent by the Father. And then it says there as well in F, Jesus seeks to please the Father. The Greek word that it uses for sent here is to send on behalf of the mission of the sender. So Jesus is sent on behalf of the mission of God his Father, which he adopts as his own. And then later in scripture, it says, just Jesus says to us, his followers, just as my father sent me, I am sending you. This is how it starts to make sense and actually touch our own life. And I'm not gonna skip it because of time, but let me briefly say, fast forward to John 17 in a prayer of Jesus. He prays for the future church, for us. And he says, may they be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And it fully explains the incredible relationship between God the Father and the Son. G, in your notes, Jesus is one with the Father. And what it means for us is a few things. It's this invitation into loving relationship with God. The living God is not just Jesus' Father. He's your Father. And that sounds are like siblings with Jesus. He's like the big older brother that leads us to salvation, that sacrifices for us. God has become our Father, God the Father. He loves you to the point that he would do anything to get you to be with him, anything he can possibly do, apart from making you a robot and forcing you. It's the only thing he won't do. He wants to know you in the way that I want to know and love every single one of my kids, but he does it with a perfect love. And you're invited today to say yes to that. And then it doesn't just end there, he then sends you into the world for a reason. Every single one of you is a gift to this world. There is a reason for you now. There is a reason for you here in your world. Every person, the person you're sitting next to, the, person, the people you work with, the siblings, even the people that frustrate you, you are sent to them. You're a sent one of God. I've been thinking a lot about how we measure success in the church. I think oftentimes we use too shallow of metrics and we kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, this is awesome. Meaning you can fill a room, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That's not to judge rooms that are full, praise God. But I don't think a full room, like we have a pretty full room right now. Are we successful as a church now? We did it, shallow interpretation. By the same note, is it, is it money? Is it giving to missions? And, and I love how it's been said, you can make budget but not make disciples. So you can actually, and we're in, a, in an area that has lots of resources. You could, if you're a good leader and you have good business practice and you have infrastructure, you can treat the church just like building a business and you can actually raise a lot of money because people care about things. doesn't mean you're actually making disciples. So I've just been wrestling with it as I'm thinking about the next few decades of my life and and Lord willing, what we'll all get to do together. Like how do we measure what we're doing here? And the thing that keeps coming back to me just biblically and as I seek the Lord is that our success will not be measured by our seating capacity or our resource capacity, but by our sending capacity. That's the measurement. And sending doesn't necessarily mean you leave. It doesn't mean you have to go to Africa. It might mean that. Doesn't necessarily mean you leave this area and go somewhere else to be like a church planner or something like that. It means that people meet Jesus, are raised up and equipped with the knowledge of what it is to know and walk with Jesus and are equipped to be sent into the mission that God has called them to every single day of your life. It's not about doing your work to make more resource or get the promotion. No, it's working as under the Lord and understanding that God has placed you there and sent you into your world to be a light. He has sent you to your family He has sent you to all those people that I mentioned before. Kind of a hard thing to measure, but there's some things I'm wrestling, not wrestling with, thinking through and starting to talk to the team about that I think are gonna come down uh, the pike this year that are gonna help us hopefully do really well the primary thing it is that we're called to do. And that is equip people to the point that they understand they are the sent ones of God. and, And watching them actually live that out, equipping them, walking with them as they do it. And that's the invitation. You have been invited, this is number three, into loving relationship with God, oneness with God, like the Father and the Son, and sent as part of the work of God. As the band comes, I wanna encourage you, follow the example of Jesus who sent you. Be in living relationship with God. Be in unity with God and his church. Be on the mission of God, fulfilling the work of God. Continually receive the good news, which is what we're gonna do right now with communion. We're going to close with this and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone is welcome to take communion. If you take it with us, just know you're declaring yourself to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to like look around, but it's between you and the Lord. Um, If you need a communion pack and you don't have one, raise up your hand. And one of our team members, we need some up here. Come on of you. Thank you guys. Keep your hand up for a minute. They'll bring you one. You can go ahead and take the top layer off, the piece of bread that is in here is representative of the body of Christ. The one that we have been studying this morning and learning about allowed his body to be broken on the cross for you, for me. That's what we're remembering. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. We do it generally on the first Sunday of every month. And it's preaching the gospel to ourselves. I like to break it actually, because that's what Jesus did, which we're gonna read. And it says, because his body is broken, our bodies can be whole. Because his body is broken, our bodies don't have to be broken. And I don't know whether you or your loved ones will all be fully healed on this side of eternity, but our hope is eternal. And on that side of eternity, we'll all be fully healed. Are you tracking with me? We have full life, fully living, alive in his presence because of his body broken for us. He said in Corinthians, when he, Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we do what you commanded us to do today and we do this in remembrance of you. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you are God, that you are our savior. You are our big brother and you are always working. We thank you that you give life. We thank you that you give us the gift of eternal life. Then we remember it as we partake together. Let's eat church. Go ahead and open the juice packet. This juice is representative of the blood of Jesus that scripture teaches us was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. I encourage you to preach this to yourself right now. Remind yourself of the good news of Jesus. Lord, thank you that you have washed me clean. We confess, we sin, we fall short, but you've taken all of these sinners And you've made a way for us unto salvation you've clothed us in the righteousness of god and we receive it again this morning jesus said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink together lord teach us to be a worshiping church teach us to be a church that that is overflowing with joy in your presence, God. Not just here when we're gathered, but as we're in our vehicles, as we're in our workplace. Teach us just to respond to your work in worship. We thank you, Lord. Before we dismiss with the benediction, um, anyone who's putting their faith in Jesus for the first time or like a, a recommitment or anything like that, please let us know. We'd love to pray with you you. If you want to get baptized, let us know. We want to dunk you. If you want to dedicate some of these new babies, we're going to do all this coming up in these next uh, months. If you're coming to Newcomers Connect, right after done with the Benediction, meet us right up there. Again, right through these doors, up the stairs. You can't miss it. It's the first room right there. I'll be right up there. Um, and uh, the Kutz family, Rebecca and Steve Kutz, who are helping us as our Newcomers Connect hosts, will be up there right away. And you can start eating and meeting people. And I'll be up as soon as I can to share a little bit. Um, again, if you're new and you didn't sign up, there's a little bit of room, you can just show up. Say hi to someone you don't know before you go. I'm thankful to be here with you as a, as a church family. One last word. I know we're a little bit over, but I feel like I gotta say this. I was driving in this morning and I put on really old school Hillsong, like from the late 90s, early 2000s. The, the first album I listened to was called For This Cause. Anyone remember that? Yes, okay, a few. And then I put on um, uh, so, uh, Blessed blessed are those who dwell in your house they're praising. and i was like oh man i forgot how great church music used to be it's still good i'm just still good but i was filled with joy i was filled with of course just you know when we hear songs from seasons of our life that are profound it it stirs in us and that's partially nostalgia but i was reminded of being a, a, a younger kid and i was actually an adult a young adult when those came out but i was reminded of being a younger kid and how powerful it was to be in the house of God around all these big people that had the joy of the Lord in them. All these big people, all these adults, and, and that is what shapes us. And I just wanna remind you, you guys that are faithful gatherers with the people of God, you guys that serve and facilitate these gatherings, it is no small thing. You don't just come here for you, you come here for the person next to you. You come here for the kids that are running around this place, making coffee stains and every and like putting gum on the walls. We're here for them and they're surrounded by the joy of the Lord and the worship of God. I was listening to the band rehearsed this morning. My kids and their kids and others kids are running around hearing the praises of God and the worship of God that shapes and marks their life forever. Think about that. That's what we're doing. It is no small thing. So let me pray this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Love you guys very much.